the biggest independent wrestling show ever. Or as I personally will call it, the Infinity War event of wrestling. For you see, All In started off off of a tweet. Here's the story. Now, this is also going to detail a bunch of the road to All In because I feel like this is an important discussion. In May of 2017, a fan had asked Wrestling Observer Newsletter journalist Dave Meltzer on Twitter if Ring of Honor could sell 10,000 tickets. Meltzer responded, not anytime soon. Cody took Meltzer's remark as a challenge and responded, I'll take that bet, Dave. Eventually, this kickstarted the idea of a what was originally going to be a Ring of Honor show to becoming a self-funded event by Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks. It was later announced that when this was happening that Kenny Omega, Brady, Brady Rhodes, and actor Stephen Amell would be showing up at the show. Stephen Amell, the Green Arrow. On December 31st, Cody and the Young Bucks announced that on Being the Elite that they were looking at different venues to hold this event. It was later reported by Pro Wrestling Insider that the, the event was set to be held in Chicago. Then on January 12th, in the new year, it was announced that the event would take place on September 1st, which happened. And on March 5th, all its venue was revealed to be the Sears Center, located, located in the Chicago suburb of Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Over the future weeks and months even, in fact even up to 24 hours before the show, uh, they would get a whole bunch of talent to come in. Pentagon Jr., Ray Phoenix, Kazusuke Okada. Um, there was going to be one female wrestler showing up, but then she signed with WWE. Uh, Tessa Blackard, I I'm pretty sure I pronounced that wrong. Jay Lethal, Chelsea Green, Marty Scroll, Hangman Adam Page... And it would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Because then, additionally, it was announced to coincide the event, Corin Thompson's would hold StarCast, a fan con convention which would feature numerous personalities, podcasters, such as Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff, Bruce Picard, Diamond Dallas Page, Macaulay Culkin, and even CM Punk was there. And everyone was hoping that CM Punk would go all in. But Punk had said that he wasn't interested in it. He's kind of lost that passion to be in the wrestling ring. Thanks, Vince! You sucked out his passion. Why do people still work for you? And during a press conference for All In, it was announced that Rey Mysterio, hooray! And NWA World Heavyweight Champion Nick Aldis, Aldis who I didn't know who it was before until I looked it up. Yeah, he was Magnus from from Impact Wrestling when it was at his worst point. And he is NWA World Everywhere Champion. I had forgotten NWA was still around. I thought it went, went out of business some time ago. But no, it turns out, nope, they're still kicking. And he's the World Heavyweight Champion. So then... A lot of people around this time were thinking, like, okay, so how is this going to grow? Like, are we going to get all the... How are they going to make this show? Like, obviously Vince and McMahon and WWE will not stand for this. They can't stand the idea of another company rising to the top. Or, or another wrestling event that's not them. Because the mere idea of competition scares Vince nowadays. Instead, welcomes him. So... 
Yeah, when that happened, everyone feared that All Aid would probably get sabotaged by Vince McMahon and his endless check. And sure enough, they tried. They tried to get at least almost everybody they could, or at least pay them off at best. They only got one, and that was the Lady Denaro Pizarro. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that wrong. Um, yeah, and no one really bashed her for going to WWE. They hadn't planned everything out, and she did express that she did wish she could go all in. But pretty much WWE is a dictatorship and whatnot, so they can't do that. So then, tickets were put on sale... And sold out in less than 30 minutes despite Cody and Young Bucks only announcing one match. What was that match? Well, it was going to be um, Marty Scroll versus Kazusuko Okada. Eventually, more wrestlers would start showing up, like um, MGF, Madison Rain, Kota Ibushi, SoCal Uncensored, a.k.a. Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazara, and Scorpio Sky, Best Friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent Barnett, uh, the Briscoe Brothers, and during this time, Cody and the Young Bucks started a YouTube series called All Us, chronicling the lead-up to the event, which I had all watched. I had watched this and the 10 Pounds for Gold series that documented this event. And on July July 13th, it was announced that Alyssa Atau, Bobby Cruz, Don Callis, Excalibur, and Rico Bell, Justin Roberts, and Son Mooney would serve as All In's broadcast team, with Timmy Baltimore being announced as commentator on August 27th. And then... Ben, uh, Bandito was announced for the show on July 25th. On August 6th, it was announced that on being the Elite The All In's Main card would be broadcast on pay-per-view and fight TV, including honor card and also showing up on on New Japan World. And everyone was glad that All In was going to be broadcast. Like, everyone was worried that All In wasn't going to get broadcasted because, well, they would have to try... Because basically, you're basically saying that the only people that mainstream audiences would probably know and mainstream networks would probably know is Cody... And they'll just think he's the guy that quit. And then you have the Young Bucks, and then yet, okay, let's put them on the network. Yeah, and this one, and here's the thing. If Vince had not creatively bankrupted WWE, I don't know if this show would have sold out. It likely would, but there would be that reasonable doubt that if WWE wasn't creatively bankrupted at this point, because everything was getting so bad there, um creativity wise money wise they're guaranteed to live um but fans were craving for something new something different like oh my god Vince try just, just try but Vince was stubborn doing that idea because that scares him so they just said you know what fine I'll take my money and I'll go all in and yeah, I bet a lot of people were happy when it was announced that All In was going to be broadcasted after the tickets sold out. And then it was announced that there would be a pre-show called Zero Hour airing on WGN America at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And later that day, it was announced that the main event, the event's main card would also be broadcasted on our card. Additionally, um, um, 
Jordine, Grace, Moose, Rocky Romero, Cole Cabana, and Ethan Page were announced for the show. And from August 15th to 18th, Brian Cage, Billy Gunn, Jimmy Jacobs, Marco Stunt were announced. And then Brian Cutler was announced. Punishment Martinez was announced. It was announced that... Yeah, and then Austin Gunn, the son of Billy Gunn, who I never heard of before, was announced for the show. And then on September 1st, just before the show, Tim Storm was announced for the show. Yeah. So, really think about this. All these show, all these people are from other wrestling companies. Here's the best way to describe it. That, remember how I say this is like the Infinity War of wrestling event? Because you don't just have the Bullet Club involved. You have Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, Lucha Libre, a Lucha Libre Wrestling Company, New Japan Pro Wrestling, AAA, and the National Wrestling Alliance all coming together and saying, we got, let's do this. Let's go all in. And that, that should interest you. So, the matches that were announced for the show would be SoCal Uncensored, Frankie Cazares, and Scorpio Sky facing the Briscoe Brothers, Flip uh, the Over the Budget Battle Royale, Matt Cross versus MGF, Christopher Daniels versus Stephen Amell, Tessa Blancard versus Chelsea Greed, uh, Madison Rain and Britt Baker, who is Adam Cole's girlfriend. Uh, then it would be announced that Cody Rhodes would take on Nick Aldris for the NWA Heavyweight Championship. Hangman Adam Page would eventually f- would go on to fight Joey Janelle. Jay Lethal would face whoever wins the Over the Budget Battle Royale. Kenny Omega versus Pentagon Jr. Kazuzuko Okada versus Marty Scroll. The Golden Elite consisting of the Young Bucks and Cody Ibushi versus Rey Mysterio. Uh... Ray Phoenix and Benendo. So, yeah, this is the makings of a very, very interesting card. Now, now I saw the videos that were building up to the show, and oh my god, this was so, like, I'm feeling passion. I'm feeling passion from these people. Like, they did it. Like, you might as well, I'm surprised. No one went out and said, This is the greatest moment of our lives! We did it! Like Mick Foley did when he won the WWE Championship. So, let's get to these build-ups and whatnot. Okay. What if I told you that one of the things was on being the elite? So, yeah. (laughs) How do I explain this? The the Adam Page match he had with uh, Joey Janelle starts off with Joey Ryan being murdered on being the elite by a mysterious assailant in a Japanese hotel room. On June 4th, Japanese police arrested Arrow star Stephen Amell for Ryan's murder. It was revealed that Christopher Daniels had framed Amell for the murder. And on August 6th, on being the elite, it was announced that Amell, who had been recently released from prison, would face Daniels at All In. Man. Green Arrow's not really doing well with prison life. Especially since he's going back to prison soon in Arrow Season 7, I think? I haven't watched the show. Yes, shocking. And on August 27th of being the Elite, Daniels and Amel would have their final conversation before the event, with Amel warning that he would put him through a table just like he did during their debut. Uh, 
Ring of Honor. Yes. One of the storylines involves Joey Ryan being murdered. Yeah, uh, here's the other thing about uh, who Joey Ryan is. Um, how do I explain this? I had never heard of this guy until he did something with his um, privates in the ring and was able to flip people with it. I will get back to him in a moment later on. Also, in one of the documentary episodes I was watching, I even made a playlist about called The Road to All In, documenting 31 videos of, of the show that built up to it, as much as I could find. And, yeah, one of the motives of Christopher Daniels wanting to go after Stephen Amell is because Christopher Daniels feels like you shouldn't be in this ring. So don't say it's say that anyone can do it. It's not easy and whatnot. And Stephen Amell was apparently the arrogant character that basically says, hey, I could do that. Like it was the easiest thing in the world. And Christopher Daniels, who's been in this business for so long, took offense to that. And I was like, wait, a legitimate motivation? We are supposed to not like you, right, Daniels? Because you do have a legitimately good reason. And I wouldn't be surprised if you generally did think that these young young people coming in and saying that I can do what you do and acting all smug and arrogant. Anyways. Uh, so when it was announced that when Billy Corgan, uh, the NWA president, announced that Nick Aldris would defend the NWA World Heavyweight Championship against Cody, if Cody would win this match, he and his father Dusty Rhodes would become the first ever father-son duo to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, which makes Dusty Rhodes' death coming so happening that day so more depressing because this would have been awesome if he, if we got that moment with his father coming into the ring and celebrating with him and they both hold up the NWA World Heavyweight Championship together. Yeah. And during Ring of Honor's Honor United Tour in in London of May 27th, it was announced that if Cody was able to reclaim the ROH World Championship before All In, that the match would become a winner-takes-all mode for both the NWA and Ring of Honor Championships. However, Cody would fail on two different occasions. One, one would be at Best in the World, and another would be the following, the following episode. Then afterwards, Cody tried to found a way to convince um, found a way to convince Nick by basically saying, "Look, I'll give you the ring, and if you and basically I die, I saw this. It was an awesome angle, but I don't know if I could put it to words correctly." He managed to convince Nick, aka Magnus, Magnus, to basically put the title on the line. And Cody shows this emotional speech where he says he's not just, he's, he just, he, basically his father, his family legacy to carry on this, tr this class tradition that he and his family held with Dusty Rhodes and now him. He wants to do it and I was all for that. And yeah, that, that was all, that was awesome. On June 8th at WrestlePro event, Madison Rain and MJF uh, defeated Bernard the Business Pair and Flip Gordon, I'll get to him in a moment, um, to qualify for that match, to qualify for All In. However, 
Flip Gordon, desperate as he was, did not get the chance. And... Yeah. And then Marty Scroll began training with Nick to become a heavyweight on Being the Elite in preparation of his match against Okada. Over the subsequent episodes of Being the Elite, multiple wrestlers would, demis- would dismiss Scroll's chances of defeating Okada, including the Young Bucks, Jack Swagger, Rey Mysterio, Zack Sabre Jr., and... And Okada himself. And then on the 27th, on being the elite, Skrull responded to all doubts and stating that he would defeat Okada at the event. Also, <laughs> yeah, you wanna know. Oh boy, how do I say this? Um, on being the elite. Joey Janelle greeted Matt Jackson and Marty Scroll, immediately pissing off Jackson. And on July 23rd, it was announced that Joey Janelle would face Hangman and Page. And later that day on Twitter, Page would send a warning to Janelle and proclaim himself a Joey killer. On August 12th of being nearly, Page had a nightmare with his cowboy boots telling him that he would kill another Joey. Referring to Joey Janelle. And then, on being the elite. Janelle would provoke Paige during an autograph session, and then they would make their match a Chicago street fight. Yeah, you wanna know what I mean by another Joey? Yeah, it's revealed that he killed Joey Ryan. Congrats! You ki- I'm pretty sure Jim Cornette was happy when that happened. Who bad. And really, the only build-up between Team Mysterio versus Golden Elite was that Mysterio and actor Theo Rossi uh, would mock the Young Bucks. Yeah. And SoCal and Censor would have a matchup to build to go ahead and basically say, we're going to train, we're going to get ready. Basically, they did a training montage on, on the Being the Elite channel that was over 10 minutes long, I think. I never got a chance to watch it because All In would start afterward before I could get the chance. And then Kenny Omega, which when he was told he was going to face Pentagon Jr., said, The insane guy from Impact? Uh, recognizing other companies. Something Vince hates so with a fiery passion. And now there was one storyline that was the most interesting, for me at least. Flip Gordon... I had no idea who this guy was. I assumed Flip Gordon was, like, basically Cheeseburger. I am still trying to process that. So, yeah, I don't feel like explaining about Cheeseburger because that name is just... Why? I I don't get it. I, I really don't get that name. So Flip Gordon is basically a pro pro wrestler who's very young. He's actually 26 years old. Um, I didn't know much about him. Like, he was on some of the Being the Elite episodes and tried to go ahead and fix the show when Cody Rhodes basically effectively destroyed it when he got the Elite to disband temporarily at the Ring of Honor Super Card of Honor event. Yikes. And... Yeah, Flip Gordon basically um, made this challenge that he would try and get himself all in. And, okay, 
here's the thing. He tried everything. He tried fighting Cody. He tried fighting... Um, he tried fighting all these wrestlers. He even challenged the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Nick Alderis to that match for the title that if he wins, Flip Gordon would get booked to All In because he would be the NWA Champion. Flip Gordon did not win. And after the match, Cody Rhodes helped Gordon to his feet and teased booking him for All In event before Bully Ray assaulted him with a low blow. So, yeah, that's, that's the key storyline with Flip Gordon. And that's pretty much it for these massive build-up. And I even got to the matches and we're already past the 20 minutes and 30 second mark. Yeah, so let's go into All-In Zero Hour, which consisted of two matches. SoCal Uncensored versus the Briscoe Brothers and the, and the Over the Budget Battle Royale. Or Over Budget Battle Royale. To determine the number one contender for the ROH World Championship. So... <clears throat> Yeah, starting off the show, um, uh, Cody and the Young Bucks kick things off with a little pyro, introduce Warrior Animal on a motorcycle, and then they have Pro Wrestling Tees hand out to some, to some merchant to the crowd, which basically involves firing them and basically joking about, hey, every show has to do this, right? Pugnance! <laughs> I like, yeah... So SoCal and Censor came out, Kazera and Scorpio Sky uh, came out wearing some Rocky-inspired gear, like Scorpio Sky dressed in, like Apollo Creed, while uh, Kazaria got himself a Rocky-inspired robe. And this match was fine, just just fine. The Briscoes, okay, I keep thinking like, okay, so are they going to transform into the Usos because... Yeah, that's the vibe I keep getting whenever I see them. It's like, reminding me of the Usos, but much, much older and grittier and gruff. And, yeah, this match was fine. A fine opening to the show. This was broadcast on WGN America. And, ultimately, this match would go crazily, cr like, um, I believe this match was 12 minutes long, and SoCal and Censor would get this victory. And, yeah... A lot of stuff was going on on this show. They're basically showing that they were celebrating wrestling and celebrating this pride they had. Like, we did it. We got here. We made it. We did it. We're in the big leagues now. We don't need WWE to show we can make it. So, yeah. And... Yeah, there was occasional pro wrestling tease commercials, which were funny. Um... And we even got a backstage interview with Kenny Omega talking to talking with Alyssa Atau. Um, he cuts a brief promo about Pentagon Jr. and put and him putting on a match for the ages. Then we get um, the over the budget Battle Royale, and really we see Moose, Brian Cage, Billy Gunn, Jimmy Jacobs. Like let's see who was on there. Um, like I said, Moose. Uh, we got Rocky Romero. Oh, Cole Cabana, Ethan Page, Brian Cage, Billy Gunn, Jimmy Jacobs, Marco Stunt, Brandon Cutler, Punishment Martinez, Austin Gunn, The Hurricane, Tommy Dreamer, Cheeseburger, <sighs> Tuck Taylor, and Trent Bonetta. Um, yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah, one of the people in here was a woman. So yeah, let's add intergender wrestling to this. That's gonna make it more interesting if she actually if she was to win this match. 
Yeah, I, I was actually kind of either rooting for Jimmy Jacobs or this woman to win because I kind of wanted to see an intergender match. And also I wanted to see Jimmy Jacobs get to the pedestal once again because Age of the Fall. <laughs> yeah. And this was probably one of my favorite battle royales in a long time. Like, normally you'd, like... The wrestlers actually, you know, got out of the ring, brawled all over the ring, charged into the ring again, got crazy, brought in weapons, got chaotic, and I'm just thinking, yeah, this is kind of awesome. And one of the highlights, well, one, Jimmy Jacobs was wearing a woman's clothing, so, yeah, he's currently going through a crazy gimmick. Can we please get to Age of the Fall attitude mode? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, but yeah, Jimmy Jacobs, he was funny. Um, and then he did something that I was like, oh, oh, Jimmy Jacobs. Next, you're going to want to go in and rock around like a certain senile guy who fired you over a pitcher. Yeah, this guy mocked John Cena's five-knuckle shuffle, then tried to do the pedigree, and then Billy Gunn got pissed off and then tossed him out of the ring. And he didn't say the names, but they acknowledged that they existed because they can't say the names for various reasons, but they acknowledged they existed. You know, something that Vince doesn't like to do a lot. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Billy Gunn and the counties even reference like, and Billy gets friends with that guy when Jimmy Jacobs went to do Triple H's pedigree. And I'm just thinking... Oh, man. Oh, man. So, yeah. Punishment Martinez was great. I honestly thought he could also won. Um, but then, right when this match was going to start... Uh, Put this masked man through a table, and I was just wondering, who is that guy? And then, as the match went on and on, we had Cage, Grace, Gunn, and Billy, and Bully Ray. And just before, and but then after Bully Ray tosses Cole Cabana out, and Bully Ray thinks he's won. Um, the masked wrestler comes in and nails Bully with a super kick and eliminates Bully Ray. And only to reveal that is Flip Gordon. He's all in. Yay! He gets a test out with Jay Lethal later in the night. So that was going to be interesting. I was kind of rooting for Flip Gordon because I kind of wanted him to get this, this show. To get on the show. So, there we get our opening matchup with, after, um, a patriotism, um, Star, Spar, Star Spangled Banner song from, I don't know what her name was, I didn't even know who it was. We get Matt, Matt Cross versus Maxwell Jacob Friedman, uh, and I was genuinely impressed. I didn't know who these people were, like... I wouldn't. I wanted to look up who the heck Matt Cross was. Turns out he's on Lucha Underground. He actually was in WWE back in 2010 to 2011. 
And he was on Tough Enough. And was eliminated. Yeah. In the second week. Oh boy. So anyways, as that was going on, uh, we got this new guy. They even did an episode of the documentary around this guy and explained that that Cody wanted to not just build on the future, build on the present and kind of celebrate the past, but also bring up about future talent. So I thought, okay, that's kind of a good idea. This match was pretty short, nine minutes. It actually is the shortest match out of everything on the show. The rest of the show is either in the 10s or the 20s. One nearly going to 30. So, yeah, that, that should say something of how this match is going to go. In fact, the Battle Royale lasted 17 minutes. So, yeah. Uh, Matt Cross would defeat MJF uh, in this matchup. And I thought um, Maxwell actually did good. I thought he has a promising... Um, <clears throat> I thought he has a promising... I promising goal in the in the wrestling industry but yeah the fact Cody says we got this guy because we wanted to see if he can rise up to the occasion try to show himself to the world I was all for that um he, he impressed me a bit I would have been interested to see more of him but yeah we're kind of on a time limit when it comes to a tryout show basically in some people's perspective, especially this is on pay-per-view as well on the cable networks. And yeah, um, okay. So Matt Cross got his victory against MJF. So yeah, also so by that extension, Lucha Underground is also involved in this in this uh, event, even though they don't mention it because Matt Cross plays a different character on Lucha Underground, but you could say Lucha Underground had a role in this. Now we get to Christopher Daniels versus Stephen Amell. Now, I knew for, like, a while that, um, yeah. Okay, but before I get to that, um, Sheen Mooney is backstage for an interview with NWA World Champion Magnus, uh, Nick Aldis. Uh, he talks about what a pleasure it is to be interviewed by one of the greats. He says, there's a reason the show has so much buzz and is all about the 10 pounds of gold. And whatnot. How Cody wants to place this etch in history and take his first step towards immortality. So, yeah. And during and before we get the Christopher Daniels versus Stephen Amell match, one of the referees of this show that was announced was Jerry Lynn, a former wrestler who recently retired a few years back. His most famous matches are the ones with RVD. So, yeah. Stephen Amell... I had a feeling Stephen Amell wasn't going to do much bumps. I thought it wasn't going to happen. But... I was generally surprised. Like, this was clearly, like, completely 100% staged. Like, they were trying their damnedest so that they could showcase something... But not, you know, risk injuring a TV actor... But, um, yeah, Stephen Amell actually impressed me. Like, he was more showcased and whatnot. And, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, if he wants to give up the TV business, he can do well in wrestling, probably. Like, he has this, he's only been, like, what, 
only less than single digit matches and one of them was a tag team match so this was his first singles match wait this is his third match i think and yeah it, it's just really really crazy like there's a table jerry lane gets involved to an extent and yeah like jerry lane wants a definitive ending to this match must have christopher daniel's hatred and, yeah, Stephen Mel almost got the victory, but nope, he couldn't. And I was not surprised, part of me was a little surprised, but at the same time not when I saw when, when Christopher Daniels beat Stephen Amell. Why? Because uh, a guy who's just only had three matches and is an actor and being portrayed as someone who could beat a veteran like, like Christopher Daniels who can still go... Yeah, Vince would probably want to do that. Not, not, not these guys. They're actually, you know, thinking with their heads. So Stephen Mill offers a handshake post-match, and Daniels accepts it before raising his hand, and they pose on the turnbuckles together, showing that this is more of a celebration event than an actual fuck WWE. Even though I would have loved it if they did that. And then we get, quite honestly, I know people are not going to claim this is a great, the greatest moment in history, but. I loved when Tennille Dashwood, a.k.a. Emma, and Mandy Leon, Leon, uh, Leon joined the commentary booth for the Fatal 4-Way Women's Match. The reason why I say that is because the commentators, the male commentators, or anyone else, didn't treat it like a big deal. It was like, oh, hey, women. Oh, hey, women. Uh, you want to join? Uh, we got we got Tennille Dashwood, and we got Mandy Leon, Leon joining us for commentary and whatnot. Like, they didn't treat like an uber history mystery oracle moment. We made history. No, they treated it more like a, oh, hey, uh, you want, hey, we got a new guest coming on to join us for the show. Like, you know, actual equals instead of overblowing it like it was the most godly moment in the history of everything. So, yeah, this is where the situation for, for Vince falls flat again. Like, he would have played it up, saying this was a historical moment. We got two female commentators joining alongside the men because it's a historical moment and we're going to aggrandize them like they're goddesses instead of, you know, treating them like equals. Because that is just stupid. What? You think we're going to do we're think we're gonna do equality to an extent? No, no. We're just going to go ahead and, like, treat them like they're the superior people. Even though they want to be treated as equals. Except some. And I don't feel like going more into the whole feminazi and feminism problem going on in the world. So, Britt Baker came out to Adam Cole's old Ring of Honor theme song. Ha, love. Very, 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 very compassionate love. Chelsea Green... I'm sure you know who Chelsea Green is, but if you don't, allow me to give you a reminder. She took part in a claiming she was having an affair with Brian Angle. Boom! And then she reappeared to the show, reappeared in WWE as the contestant for, for the sixth season, as a, as part of the relaunch. Tough enough. 
Then in 2018, Chelsea also took part in the WWE tryouts for Robbie E, Roy Gulak, La Rose, Nick, whatever, and Blaster McMassive. I'm not going into that name. Anyways. So yeah, and she's also dating Zack Ryder. So we got a moment where she goes ahead and does Zack Ryder's finishing move of the um, bro kick thing. So, yeah, considering how popular she's gotten and she's trying to be like Rosemary and Nikki Cross with the makeup makeup and the crazy attitude, yeah, I kind of want to see those three now fight each other, then tag team together in a six-woman tag team division, and then kick ass. It would be phenomenal. So, yeah, this was the only women's match on the show... And they didn't treat it like a grandizing moment. Like, it was like, hey, we got women on the show. Okay. Like, they're going to be treated just as great as the men. We're going we're gonna to keep them, we're going to keep treating them as equals. They can hang with us. We're not going to blow it up to proportions like it was the greatest thing in history of man since, yeah, those history moments were destroyed already because it's already happened before, but Vince is never going to acknowledge that key component. You know, like the first women's pay-per-view happening in the 90s, TNA doing it regularly with their knockout division, and Vince doesn't want to talk about that because that would have been he would have to recognize another company's existence on that. So, yeah. So, moving on, back to this fatal four-way women's match. Yeah, here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. This match ended with a botch. You see, Tessa Blackhard, Blanchard, okay, Tessa wins by pinfall with a hammerlock DDT on Chelsea Green. But there was a moment where it looked like they broke. They act, they weren't supposed to end the match that quick, or something else happened. Like the commentators were confused for a moment, and then they got back into it. So yeah. But moving on from that part, this was actually pretty awesome, and it was pretty amazing and not overblown out of proportion. Like it was just four women coming in, showcasing the skills, and celebrating this industry. Not just women's wrestling, just like the entire industry. And, yeah, I, I would have actually loved it if uh, Britt Baker actually came, did, since she came out with Adam Cole's theme, I was hoping she would win, if nothing else, than to do Adam Cole's pose and hear the people chant, Britt Baker, baby, in honor of Adam Cole, baby, because that would actually be kind of freaking awesome. But, uh, yeah, I, I literally enjoyed this match. It was a really great match. The botch ending, yeah, that could have probably should have been addressed, but okay. And then we get this very, very confusing thing. We got Chico El Luchador and, oh, gosh, Fat Ass Massa shown seated in the front row, and I was like, Who are these people? And really, the latter is that name? 
That's something I would see from the Attitude Era. So, yeah, then we get a really confusing thing. Cody Rhodes versus Nick Magnus Aldis for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in the middle of the show. What? Yeah, this happened in the middle of the show. And they treat it like it was a big fight feel, which it was. We get the we get basically the like this big boxing match in a movie where you see this guy the two teams and their entourage going ahead and Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Where you saw all these people come out and basically come in and say, let's sell and let's do this. <laughs> but, uh, uh, okay, so this is what I found out. Um, this is what I found out. Okay, so who was with, uh, who was the entourage with Cody Rhodes and Nick Aldis? We got Cody Rose's wife, his dog, surprisingly, Diamond Dallas Page, Glacier, and Tommy Dreamer. It would have been awesome if Coldest was there, but he's contractually obligated by Vince not to show up. That's my interpretation. Now, I'm pretty sure someone's going to be asking, who the hell is Glacier? Yeah, he's that wrestler who kept ta who had a long, long, long delayed debut in WCW because the NWO was taking so much focus. Yeah, that's basically what he's best known for. Meanwhile, Nick goes ahead and is, is basically with the, his entourage with consisting of Tim Storm, Sean Davari, you know, that guy who was with Muhammad Hassan and then and then the political and the basically Islamophobic idiots of the world at the time wrecked that career. And luckily, Muhammad Hassan is now trying to get back into things. And also, Samuel Saw. Oh, we also got a surprising guest. Jeff Jarrett. What? But he's a Hall of Famer. He's trying to build up good relations with Vince. Why would he ruin that moment? Oh, wait, because Jeff Jarrett's not stupid. And he's not under contract. So... Yeah, and the referee for this match was Earl Hebner, and I felt like, <laughs> yeah, it's fitting that Earl Hebner does this moment. So Cody Rhodes and Nick Aldis, um, this match was very WWE-esque. It felt very WWE-esque. Like, you even got that moment where he, it felt like, um... Cody was going to be escorted out because of injury. And then you got Sean DeVar coming at ringside. And DDP giving him the diamond cutter. And... Yeah, and Cody Rhodes is busted up and wearing the Crimson Mask. And... Here's the thing. Dusty Rhodes won his NWA title with a busted head. With a busted head open. And it was covering the front of his hair. Yeah, there's a reason why Cody probably did the whole dyeing his hair yellow again. 
because he wanted to really emulate his father on this moment. So, yeah. This was a very, very WWE-esque match. I think it might have been because Magnus, although he's NWA champion, he's just not as as well diverse in the ring as Cody. I don't know. I've never... The only match I saw Magnus ever was between him and AJ Styles for the TNA unification match. And that sucked. In various ways. I don't want to go into that. And I will never want to talk about it ever again. So... Yeah. And... Yeah. Okay, so this match is crazier and crazier. Like, we get a diving elbow drop, and Cody's wife takes the fall for him. She gets smashed by an elbow drop because she wants to protect her husband. And Nick is, like, shocked at what happened, and yet the commentators are bashing him, and the commentator and the audience is condemning him for, an, for something that was not at all in his intentions, and he didn't even know. And then we get a slugging out moment, and then then we get this emotional moment. Cody Rhodes wins by pinfall, winning the NWA World Heavyweight Championship that his father held 39 years ago. And it was such an emotional moment, and... Yeah, it was so awesome. It, it was like a lot of people were saying they were crying. It was emotional. Like Cody just now joined with his father as the first ever father-son duo to win the NWA championship. And that's saying something. And now it's going to be very interesting where Cody takes the NWA title to. He's basically every in every show basically except for Impact. I would love to see Really would love to see if he takes this really far. Then we get to... And then we get into a comedic match of craziness. Hangman Page, right before his match, tries to strangle him. Tries to strangle Nick Jackson. Yeah. That, that was kind of funny. And then Joey Janelle comes out, and then we get their match between him and Hangman Page, and it was a Chicago street fight. Oh my god, this was insane! We need a moment to do this. <laughs> and here's the thing. There were some moments I was wondering from the commentators, like, eh, you better not say that in Chicago. Like, they kept referencing how Hangman is a murderer, how he should be locked up, and how he just killed someone, and how he will kill again, and he seems like he's hinting to that route. And I'm thinking, like, uh, Chicago's not the best place to say this, man. Like, for various reasons. Like, the high crime rate. Dude, I think you should stop. And, no, they still went with it. I'll be amazed if there's no controversy from this. 
And we even get some intergender wrestling in here. You see, um, uh, when during the matchup when J Joey Janelle was getting basically his ass handed to him by Hangman Page, uh, his, his I don't know who she was, um, Ford, her last name was Penelope, Penelope Ford. I, I could be wrong. I don't know. But, um, yeah. It gets really crazy. Like, she goes ahead, does a stunner, and they reference Stone Cold's trademark. Oh, hell yeah! And then she... And then she did all these weird evasions, like bending her back like Bray Wyatt and whatnot. Like... Oh man, like can we can she can we ever fight Candice LeRae? No, we can't. Okay, and she does a diving crossbody to the floor. And Shade does. She sets up the t him on the table that was played, and Joey Ryan hits a diving elbow drop through the through both page and the table. Yeah, during this match, we get a fallaway slam onto a steel chair. We get um a buckshot lariat. We get a water slide through the ladder. <laughs> and Heyman even brings a body bag into the ring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... And then during the match... Uh, uh, okay, so as they fight, Janelle takes a huge run-up and wipes it out with Hilaria, comparing it to the great Muta, Muta versus Hulk Hogan or something. I don't know. Uh... And then she, and then the, and then Penelope, Penelope, whatever, Ford brings another table over and they set it up at the entrance under the steps. And Hangman Page then powerbombs him off the table into the edge of the table. Then Adam Page does a buckshot lariat, writes a passage, and Ford breaks it up. And Ford then brings the, a, another body bag and it's dumped down and it's revealed to be the cursed boots from being the elite nightmare sequence. And in his state of insanity, Hangman actually super kicks her. Oh boy, the amount of triggered feminists everywhere. I mean the bad ones, not the good ones. They're, they're cool. And... <laughs> Janelle actually gets time to get a near fall with a super kick, also hitting the boot, so that must have been hilarious. And then they get another ladder. Then Janelle gets another ladder, goes under the ring, and... And... Oh boy, I, I want to talk about the post-match sequence. I, I don't want to say... I can't say it yet. Um... Yeah, so anyways, before her... He sets up the ladder on the table before setting Adam on the, on the table, climbing up the ladder, but then a Hangman cuts him off against the phone he killed Joey Ryan with, and hammers Joey Janelle on the head with it and wraps the cord around his neck, right of passage off the ladder through the table, and it's over. Also, they got a sponsor to uh, show, to sh make cameo appearance as a weapon. So at least the sponsors actually made a, made a contribute this. So that's a first. Where to go?
So, moving on. The lights go out, and we see the bloody Joey Ryan in the old Bane the Elite episode lying down somewhere, and then his signature thing starts to stand up. The lights come back on, and then we get an Undertaker S that makes me want to say, Oh God, I wonder how Mark Calloway felt when he sees this. Because a bunch of dudes in phallus costumes come out, taking positions on either side of the entryway. Joey Ryan lives! He gets in the rings, oils himself up! And while Paige looks on in another shock, saying, I killed you! I killed you! And, yeah, he blocks a punch. Joey Ryan blocks a punch from Hangman Page and puts Hangman's Page on his phallus and does his signature superplex maneuver. A super kick follows. Joey rolls at him into the waiting arms of the phallus people who carry him out in a sacrificial way. You cannot make this up. This Okay, so let's see if I get this straight. We get this emotional, heartfelt moment between the son of Dusty Rhodes, Cody, winning the NWA Championship. And I am demanding that someone commissions, a, a, someone makes an artwork of Dusty Rhodes smiling down on Cody. Or, or even go ahead and make a, make a spiritual image of Dusty placing a hand on Cody's shoulder. Do it! So yeah, um... Yeah, and then we get this! Insanity! And I'm just thinking, oh my god, Jim Cornette's gotta be pissed! Like, it was bad enough for him, at least, that this happened on small shows, this happened on national tele- on pay-per-view, on Honor Club, on New Japan World, on Fight TV, and he's going to have to live with that fact is now in the aisles of history. But he's ranting on Twitter right now, isn't he? I've had... And then we get to Jay Lethal versus Flip Gordon. And they go crazy. Jay Lethal looks like he's going crazy when someone hands him a pair of glasses that seem strangely familiar, slaps his back and fires him up. And he makes his entrance wearing Randy Savage's coats and accompanied by his brother Lanny Poffo. By God, what have we created? And yeah, it turns out this is actually a popular gimmick Jay Lethal did a lot, including on being the elite. I didn't know about that. Black macho is ismo ismo. I don't know, but like Flip Gordon and Jay Lethal, they kind of had an awesome match, and then. Then we get even crazier with this matchup. Like, this match is like paying respects to wrestling's past. Including to a person who doesn't deserve to be respected for a variety of reasons, like calling people crybabies because they're complaining about the power going out and people dying in the hurricane disaster. Oh, wait, Hulk Hogan's just being an asshole. And, yeah. Like, there's, like, 
Jay Lethal goes there, goes all Macho Man Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah. And carries Brady... Uh, Cody's wife, who accompanied Flip Gordon around like Macho did for Elizabeth, and yeah, and, and then Jay Lethal goes ahead, does three, three elbow drops, going all Ultimate Warriors, uh, Randy Savage sequence from WrestleMania all many, 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 many years ago, and some consider that to be Warriors' best match, and Flip kicks out. And Flip goes ahead and gets all, and then like he gets all hulked up and whatnot, like, and like the crowd even knows what's going on. They scream out "You" and whatnot, and yeah, he he does Hulk Hogan's mannerisms, and and then we get more evasions, and when Jay Lethal tries to go ahead and stop it, and then we get a springboard sling blade off top, nobody home, lands on his feet. Fireman's carry moon and yet, and yet Jay Lethal still kicked out, and then and then Jay Lethal blocks it with an avalanche Frankenstein.er Blocks the avalanche Frankenstein.er Flips gets out of it, adjusts, and then he gets put away with the lethal injection. Retain the ROH championship. And I was actually kind of mad a little bit. I actually wanted Flip Gordon to win. I generally wanted him to win this match. This was an eye-opening for me. I might go into his match with Nick Aldis when, I, when I'm out of the time. In a later video. But Lethal and Gordon are, are good sports. They're adhering to the code of honor. But Bully Ray comes down and clobbers them with a double clothesline. Beats up on Flip with a chain. Lanny tries to make the slave, and then gets the put when um, Bully kicks him in his privates and his sacred jewels. And it's under the ring for table, and Cole Cabana makes a save. Jay and Flip hoist him up. Shades of the Shield and triple power bomb. Now they just need to do the shield pose, and then they will have the shield on their backs. So, yeah. And, and here's the thing that was the undercard. We have a triple threat main event going on. First up, Kenny Omega versus Pentagon Jr. And I was surprised this wasn't for the IWGP Championship. That would have actually been interesting. And then Kenny Omega and Pentagon Jr. does his Sierra Medo Zero Fear. And then, and then Kenny Omega is like, I am not amused, and shoves Pentagon Jr. Don't, don't do it, Kenny. You're, you're risking a death sentence. He takes his glove off, throws it at referee Paul Turner before doing the hand sign again, and then gets slapped in the face. Kenny is not amused. And then they go crazy. They... Oh my god, and I heard this was the first time ever match between the two. They met once in a tag team match, but they never fought each other in a singles match. Oh god. This was awesome! Because this... This was insane! This match was insane, man! And 
and, and we get cr flips, kicks, V triggers. And every time I hear that crack when the V trigger, I'm just like, oh man. But then they top that moment with Pentagon Jr. doing the package pile driver on the apron side. I'm surprised Kenny's still alive now. So yeah, and it was, oh my god, this match was awesome. And Pentagon Jr. does his arm breaking maneuver and... I honestly kind of wanted Pentagon Jr. to win. I knew he wasn't going to because it's Kenny Omega, but I just wanted Pentagon Jr. to actually win this match. And, and then we get this moment, and it's all awesome. It's just, this match was awesome. It, it was like, what, 20, like what, 17 minutes and 47 seconds. I thought it was actually over 20 minutes, a little over 20. Hangman Page and Joey Janelle was 20 minutes. Um, and, and then... Then, after the match is over, the lights... Where Kenny Omega gets the win with the one-winged angel... At, and, and here's the thing. When there was an awesome moment, Pentagon Jr. was saying, repeatedly saying, Zero! Muerto! When Kenny Omega kept launching kick and V-triggers after him. And he just kept getting back up and saying, Zero! Lando! And, yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty awesome match. And then the lights go out. And we all expect something crazy to happen. They come back on. Pentagon Jr. rises from the grave and attacks Kenny. And then we see the code breaker. And I was like, oh no. No, they didn't. He did not really just do that. He takes out the mask. It's Chris Jericho! And he strips the Pentagon Jr. gear off to the waist and hits another co-breaker. He gets on his microphone and tells Kenny, I'll see you on my cruise. Really, someone on Twitter pointed out that Chris Jericho said, I have zero fear to put you on the list. And then YTJ, being the absolute asshole heel that he is, goes to commentary and knocks Don Cyrus Callis down. Again. Yeah, here's the thing about this. While it was cool, I kind of wanted someone else to do the, to attack Kenny Omega. I wanted Neville to be the one that attacks Kenny Omega. Why? Because Neville's a free man. He's free. He gets to go somewhere. He gets to wrestle elsewhere now because he's no longer oppressed by the machine that is WWE. And, yeah, that was pretty awesome. That would have been pretty awesome. Imagine it. Neville comes out, beats the crap out of Neville in disguise as Pentagon Jr., takes off his mask, reveals Neville with a snarling face on him, and he goes ahead. And if Kenny Omega had brought the IWGP title to the show, I would have loved if he held the title up, signaling, I'm coming for you. And basically giving the middle finger to Vince by basically saying, Say, I am not a Cruzite! I am the best wrestler of the United Kingdom! Yeah, that, that would have been freaking awesome. And... Yeah, I felt like that was a really missed opportunity there. That that's that would have been awesome. Really, really awesome. Sadly, he does not show up at the show, unfortunately. 
So, anyways, now we get to Kazusuke Okada versus Marty Scroll. And when you're hearing that this match is actually the better match than Kenny Omega and Pentagon Jr., you know you're succeeding in something. Like, yeah, I kept hearing that a lot. Like, I thought, like, really, I thought all the matches were great. Like, It'd be pretty hard to try and say no. Which uh, uh, man? Which match do we say? Uh, do we say this match was great? No, no, no. Does this match great? And I'll just say what Oscar said. All of them. So, Kazusuke Kaimori scroll. Oh boy. Oh god. Oh yeah, this was hilariously. This was just awesome, awesome man. I I really loved every moment of this match. I was on the edge of my seat. I wanted, I wanted Mario Scroll to win. It would have helped more in his and Kazuskoka's downward spiral moment, since he's been having that since uh you know, since he lost the IWGP title. Which honestly is a very, very, very great thing to tell a story of a guy who's been on top and now is being realized you're not on top anymore. So, uh, anyways, so Kazuko Kata and Marty Scroll was. Phenomenal. It was awesome. I loved every moment of it. We got the finger breakings from Marty Scroll. We got him even hitting the Rainmaker off on Kazusuke Okada for a near fall after he struck Okada with a with the umbrella. And I knew that was gonna lead to rain to the villain for the umbrella to stop the rain. Yeah. And then then there was a moment where, oh boy, how do I say this? Kazusuke Okada basically did the biggest middle finger on the show. He goes ahead, puts up his fingers, where he says, basically, 2-0-5. And then, my skull wrenches the fingers. Oh boy. <laughs> so yeah, Vince is pissed. But I really hope he is. But Okada manages to connect the the discus rainmaker and grabs and grabs and gets the pinfall victory. Kazusuke Okada defeats defeats Marty Scroll. I was honestly this was the surprising factor. I was surprised that Marty Scroll lost. I thought they were still going with that storyline with Okada crossing the psycho level of obsession. Like, he's not the champion anymore. He's not the top dog. And it's eating away at his psyche. You know, actual character development and vulnerability. Take notes, Vince. You can make Roman be a likable character if you did that kind of storytelling. But you won't. That's too much to ask for. And then I realized, wait, how long has this show been going on? If you add six, and it was currently at the time 10.30, 
Oh my god, this has been going on for four hours. This is going to end at 11. This is a five-hour show, and I don't feel bored, tired, annoyed, angry, confused, actually excited, feeling energy flowing through me, and... Yeah, that's saying something. And then we get our main event. Brandido, Ray Phoenix, Pentagon Jr.'s brother, uh, Ray Mysterio versus Golden Elite, Kota Ibushi, and the Young Bucks. A lot of people knew at this moment that, yeah, this is, uh, this isn't going to be a very slow matchup. This is going to be high intense, fast paced because they got crunch time. And, oh my god, they said I worked with it. Like, this main event was like, what? 11 minutes and what seconds long? It was, let me see. Oh, it was less than 12 minutes. Yeah, 11 minutes and 48 seconds. That should say something. They worked a six man tag team match with high flying, uh, off, like on your feet, adrenaline pumping action within less than 12 minutes because they had to end the show. And a lot of people were saying on on TV, uh, on Twitter, that Brandito was acting different. I've never seen this guy, so I don't know who it is. But a lot of people were saying that, was that Neville? Is that is that Neville? Is he in disguise? And I wasn't sure, like, like why would that be Neville? Like, a lot of people kept saying they saw his ears and whatnot and said that he might, that it might be him. And I don't know. So I don't know if that was Neville. I'm not going into that until we find out later storylines. Because there's going to be a lot of fallout from this. But, uh, yeah. And, yeah, ultimately, uh, Brent Bandito uh, actually gets the takes the fall for the Golden Elite to win. And I was surprised by that. I thought Rey Mysterio, since this was going to be his last independent wrestling match... Because he's actually going to WWE because WWE was trying to get him off the show to come to um, to try and weaken the show because pettiness and vindictiveness. Um, but Ray Mysterio was like, no, I'll sign, but I'm doing the show. And I bet Vince was left no choice on that. I'm like... If he leaves, then whatnot, they're going to be pissed off. So after that match, the show immediately cuts out when it hit 11. So, yeah, they were like, okay, okay, we got the match done. We got cut off. And that means we might get the extended ending part with the speech that Cody did um, later on sometime. So, yeah, I... Oh, my God, this show was freaking amazing. It was probably the best show this year that wasn't an NXT TakeOver event. And this was a five-hour show, and I loved every moment of it. And, yeah, this match was pretty emotional and whatnot for a lot of people. Like, Cody and the Young Bucks are coming out, giving a speech. Apparently, I heard that... Saying there's a hunger, there's a thirst. You guys want good pro wrestling. 
And then Matt comes out and says, do you want more of this? And the crowd's chanting, all in two, all in two. And yeah, and, and then they say this, that, okay, as much as they're saying this wasn't anti-WWE, they have to have been a little anti-WWE on this. They say this, no man, no company owns pro wrestling. We own pro wrestling. We, the people, the people. Though they die, the resistance lives on. So, yeah. If they were allowed to go a little bit over time, I actually would have been alright with that if they did the speech segment. And I would have been interested if Bandito was Neville. I, that would have actually been pretty freaking awesome. Have him come out and attack Cody or Kenny Omega. That honestly would have really been a crazy moment. But, um... Yeah. Also, Rey Mysterio was dressed up like Wolverine. And was that on the entire show? <sighs> oh boy. So, All In had basically, let me see if I can quote this guy from the WCW documentary, from the WCW Rise and Fall documentary that he released a few, many years ago. Where they took the old age-old storyline concepts of big versus small, good versus evil, uh, comedy. Uh, well, it's not a quote. I'm just referencing certain elements. Like you got emotional, heartfelt drama, comedy, big versus small, classical storytelling, underdog storytelling, crazy storytelling going on. All this honor legacy, um, honoring the past, present, and future of, WWE, of wrestling. Sorry, I keep trying to say WWE. It's just I've been watching WWE so much. Uh, that kind of happened. So, honoring the future of the past, present, and future of pro wrestling. And kind of basically saying, we don't need just WWE. There couldn't be other places to go to. And they slammed the whole thing together, and it was amazing. Every moment of the show was amazing. I credit Cody and the Young Bucks for putting on possibly the best show in a long time in any wrestling event you got all these elements of storytelling and of character of growth of of all these great moments of surprises of chaos going around even going hardcore with the chicago street fight it's just if wwe let their talent do that like nxt lets their talent do that People wouldn't complain about a three-hour Raw or a five-hour, six-hour pay-per-view event. If WWE, did this, if WWE was al allowed their talent to go all out, express more creativity, and wasn't creatively bankrupted. And that's why this was fun. All In was a refresher for so many people. It was so refreshing to see a wrestling show where the talent looks like they're actually having fun and not being manufactured to have fun. Like, they're being organic. They're being themselves. And that's why I don't want a lot of these guys to go to WWE. Because, yeah, they'll have fun in NXT. Because NXT is the definition of fun a lot. But once they're called up, they're either 205 Live NXT guys... Which will be fun, because they're allowed to showcase their abilities more. But on the main roster, like, guys like Pentagon Jr., Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks. What are they going to do? What are they going to amount to to Vince's ideology? He could make them stars. 
But could is different from saying he will. So, yeah. And really, there was reports going around that, that he was trying to get the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega to join before All In. He doesn't care about these guys. He just wants them out of All In so he can weaken the show. That's why he blocked the G1 Supercard event that failed miserably, and now they have a sold-out arena at Madison Square Garden because basically, well, the fans wanted to bite back at Vince. Like, hey, you don't want this show? Well, we do. We're going to tell you to fuck off. And Cody Ibushi and Mysterio was pretty freaking awesome. This was, they said this was their first time ever interacting together. And I was like, really? They never interacted before in the ring? Well, they have such great chemistry. It sucks that Mysterio's leave. Mysterio's going back to WWE now. But you've got all these fantastical elements of everything fans love about pro wrestling smashed together. Honor the past, present, and future of wrestling. And, and pay tribute to legends come and gone to showcase their showcase the present and the future talent of the of the industry. The future franchise players, the present franchise players. <laughs> and this was just all from a tweet by Dave Meltzer saying, I don't think no one can make 10,000 tickets yet. Cody took that bet. He, he and the Young Bucks won it, made a self-funded event, got everything down right. And I hope we get it all in too. But that's that's later. We're here now. All in was pretty phenomenal. This felt like a WrestleMania. It felt like a WrestleMania I haven't seen in a long time, where you actually get a lot of great matches, not just plain up filler, and actually get emotion out of it and excitement. I loved every moment of it. So those were my thoughts on All In. This was Neo Reality Entertainment. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe, and donate. Stay tuned for more. And thank you, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks. Okay, so originally I was planning to talk about NXT UK's first episode and all the buildup around that. That has been delayed. That's going to come out on Sunday. But I had found out a story that broke out on the internet when I was working. And I realized I got to talk about it. Well, okay, so remember how there was this whole talk about the Bullet Club? Well, specifically the elite group of Bullet Club, Hangman Page, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes, all leaving and going to WWE, rumoredly, and even Tomatonga was in on it, talking about how they're going to go to WWE, making it sound like it was served by possibility. Well, there's a report that came out that immediately disputes that, and I was all the more happy because I don't want them to go to WWE because one, they're not going to amount to anything besides being cannon fodder for Roman Reigns or at best be upper mid-card guys even though Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes and Adam Page alone and Marty Scroll alone make up for like, I don't know, main, rock, main event level talent. So yeah, I was not happy when I was hearing all these rumors. So... Then a report came out that now that Chris Jericho has kind of a huge plan going forward next year somehow. He and Jim Ross are reportedly working together to start a new wrestling promotion. Yeah. 
and reportedly, according to Brad Davis of SES Scopes, um, Scoops, Jericho and Ross are also partnering with well-known wrestling agent Barry Bloom on the project. Bloom represents both Jericho and JR. Um, and then... <laughs> And then it was also reported that Dave, Brad Davis also reported that Jacksonville Jaguars and and Fulham FC owner Sherrod Khan and his family are in line to provide financial backing for this promotion. Jericho is reportedly reaching out to the talent in New Japan Pro Wrestling while Ross speaks with WWE performers since his WWE contract is set to expire, expire soon. And really, they haven't really been using him for much, so... Yeah, it kind of comes down to the whole they're probably not going to use them anytime soon. But, um, yeah, when I was hearing this, um, it was also reported by Davis that Bullet Club members Cody Rose, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Page are among those who have already committed to this company. That's apparently happening. And it was also said in this report that Jericho, Ross, and this company are reportedly in talks with AXS TV for a television deal given that they already air New Japan Pro Wrestling and will soon start airing Women of Wrestling. You know, that thing that Vince and Stephanie will probably not want to talk about because it doesn't have Stephanie whatsoever. However, according to Nick to Nick on WrestlingInc.com, however, an, a an AXS representative said Friday regarding the report, there is no truth to the AXS TV component. If this company gets off the ground, it will be like, wait, what? You mean to tell me Jericho... Jim Ross, the elite of Bullet Club, maybe even Kenny Omega, if he finished up his commitments with New Japan Pro Wrestling, they're all going to go to this new promotion and not really wrestle in WWE. And Jim Ross is already looking for talent who are set to leave. And given the fact that there's been a lot of turmoil going on in WWE, especially we're going on with Crown Jewel and all the controversy that's going on with that and how apparently a lot of the talent don't want to go there and Vince is silencing their right to free speech saying do not say anything critical about Saudi Arabia and what's been going on there. And JBL and Randy Orton aren't really helping matters by saying they should host the show there, which will probably kill their careers for in terms of fan perception, but that's beside the point. But to hear, like, okay, I had said a while back that Jericho proposing that whole IWGP versus WWE Intercontinental Championship match for between him and Seth Rollins, where he would show off, fight Seth Rollins at SummerSlam, which would have been an awesome match, especially produced by Tyson Kidd. Um, that signifies to me, at least, in my opinion, that Vince has officially burned that bridge with Jericho because Jericho came up with an idea that actually makes sense. So now... So now Jericho's like, well, uh, Vince is no longer taking me back, so I guess I can do whatever I want. Okay, let's go make a promotion. Let, let's do that. I'm like, I'm trying to build up a universe of wrestling where all of WWE and all the other promotions can come together, form a shared continuity together. I know it would be difficult, but I believe we can pull it off. But since Vince is unwilling to change with the times, well, I might as well start up my own promotion. Like, I would not be surprised if that was the logic behind it. But, yeah, hearing that Jericho is going to own his own... Pro pro Jericho and Jim Ross, like, when I heard this, I was like, there is no greater... Co this is a very interesting combination. You got Jericho, a well-known, talented performer who has a very deep love and creativity for the business, and then you got Jim Ross, a well-known commentator and a, well and a very well-known 
creative genius in, in his own right and who is not willing to put up with Vince's bullshit at times, like, you know, getting tr- him getting him uh, triggered over Jim Ross having an opinion. And I was thinking, like, so Jim Ross is apparently talking with some WWE performers out, do you want to come here? Or Jericho's talking to New Japan and saying, hey, guys, do you want to come here? Especially with all that change in management thing happening and how morale's apparently low. No idea about that. Is that being true yet? But when all this was happening, I was thinking to myself, wow, I mean, like, there's so much potential with this partnership deal they have. They got some already some talent that I've already committed to forming up this new promotion. Like, I would like to see Neville show up or Pentagon Jr. show up or a lot of talent show up. Like, there's a lot of routes this could go. It could end in failure. They could do a contract-based system. They could do a mix of contract and open contract systems. They could connect with TNA, they could connect with all these other companies, there's even been rumors about Jericho connecting with Impact Wrestling yeah I know I call it TNA that's what I used, that's what I knew it as when I was growing up so I'm kind of used to calling it TNA despite what TNA actually stands for, it's just I'm synonymous with it with total non-stop action wrestling, or Impact Wrestling Um, but to hear all this crazy stuff going on with this promotion and, and the ideas behind it and so many potential ideas like I could like Vince will probably do his damnedest to stop out on it he tried to fa- he tried and thank God failed the whole Madison Square Garden incident where he tried to block Ring of Honor and by extension New Japan Pro Wrestling from hosting a show there luckily New Japan bailed them out got them a G1 Supercard show and they sold out the arena much to Vince's anger and hatred Ah, the joys of pissing Vince off. And now he's hearing that another company's forming, and his and his own contractedly based people are the ones running it, and people that he worked with are running it, are planning to prepare for this big big mission. And I'm just thinking, oh my god, how many people do you think Vince pissed off? Like I think I'm thinking this. Imagine Vince was realizing, if Vince really does look on the internet besides posting a couple of tweets, I'm glad he doesn't make so many tweets or else I'd be thinking he's that guy, his best friend who's in the Oval Office, who makes tweets on up the wazoo for God knows what reason and says inoffensive offensive comments that really make me question how on earth we got so far into this country so far. I'm surprised nothing's happened. But I'm not discussing the politics of the United States government and the rest of the world. I'm not even going to reference why exactly there's so much controversy with Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia. Because that will be disturbingly. And I don't feel like getting copyrights blocked by YouTube's uh, kid-friendly mentality. But yeah, um, Jericho um, plucking talent from New Japan. Saying, hey, you want to come work for me? You want to work on this little project we're going? Jim Ross being contracted by WWE still, and his contract set to expire, so he's going to try and convince some people who also want to leave, who want to get out. Like like I said, there has been heavy morale loss in WWE, in my mind at least, because when Neville walked out, he was kept on the bench for a year, being told, you're not leaving, Unless two things happen. Either A, we break you, or B, you come crawling back to us begging for help because we crippled you financially. We are a good business, aren't we? 
Yeah, I still hate that idea. Like, there was a report that WWE didn't let Neville go because they wanted to send a message to the rest of the town. Like, oh, you think you can walk out without suffering the consequences? Yeah, think again. We're going to starve you out just for payback. Yeah. And now Neville is in Dragon's Gate. Was a little disappointed that it wasn't New Japan, but you gotta start somewhere with this. Hope he does end up in New Japan and wrestles Kenny Omega. That would be freaking awesome. But, moving on. Now, there's a chance Neville could become a guy at that new promotion. And after the morale depletion, with all the stuff going on with WWE, I think there would be a lot of guys, guys and gals interested in saying... Wait, I could go here where I won't be horribly oppressed by a dictator who hates everything. And he even suffers from daddy issues because he has a because his father denied him being a wrestler. So huh, I should weigh my options on this. Do I go to this company that is while um <clears throat> while is in the early stages of development? Like it was reported that this promotion is set to launch in late 2019 to early 2020. And yeah, this is going to be a very interesting series of stories that's going to happen when all this talk comes up. Like, I really am interested. I hope this is true. I really want to see Jericho, Jim Ross, uh, the, the Elite of Bullet Club. Um, I would like to see Neville there. I would like to see a lot of talent who've been underutilized by WWE oppression dictatorship regime. And basically going ahead and say. Let's take that risk, everybody. And no, I'm not going to say, hashtag CM Punk return confirmed. He or he was already offering millions of dollars to show up and wrestle all in. He said no, because he can't physically stand watching a wrestling show. Like he had said in interviews, I cannot watch a wrestling show. I try to. I could barely stay still for two for like a couple of seconds at best till changing the channel. So that should say something. So... Add in the content of Impact, of New Japan, of Ring of Honor, and their talent sharing with this new promotion if they do it that way, there's a lot of potential here. I would love to see where Jericho, Jim Ross, and all these other investors and these talented people who are already committed to this project, um, I would love to see where this goes. So this is going to be very interesting when we get more details next year, hopefully, um, about this. There might be more details in the coming months. But, like I said, most likely we'll be expecting more reports about this within next year, heading down to late 2019, where it says might launch, or early 2020. So, this is going to be a very interesting thing. This is probably more hyped up than, than the XFL relaunch. I'm just hoping Vince is distracted so Triple H can take over, but that's a different matter. So, yeah, those were my thoughts on... The Chris Jericho and Jim Ross promotion report. This was Neo Reality Entertainment. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe, and donate to you for more.